If you have a Bible, then do you want to follow with me and um, we'll read? As parents let their children get settled, they'll come back and join us then. If you've not been with us the uh, last few weeks, we're reading from Mark's Gospel. We've kind of spent and determined that we would spend a year looking at the life of Jesus. And um, what happens is, as we've said for the last couple of weeks, is we're kind of halfway through the gospel story. And um, it's at the moment when we've heard Peter identify, so, ah, oh, now I understand who you are. You're the Messiah. And that was kind of like a big moment. You're the Christ. You're one, the one we've hoped for. You're the one that was promised. And then Jesus begins to teach them that actually he's going to suffer um, as part of that. And part of following him will be the call to become his disciple, the call to pick up the cross and, and, and follow, follow Jesus. And if it were just like that, it would be a bit sort of like you've got to grit your teeth and be stoical and kind of just do your best. But there's more to the story than that. The third part of the story comes in verse 2 of chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. Transfigured is an unusual word. It's not a word we ever would really use in everyday language. But if it helps, it simply really means transformed. In fact, it's exactly the same word. Those of you that are, uh, sort of know your, your Bible a bit, you know in Romans 12 where it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's exactly the same word. It's the same root word. So it's that idea of Jesus was transformed or transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. And a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure. <laughs> it sounds like Jesus is Irish, but he wasn't. <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be sure. Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it's written about him. Well, we'll explore that story in a moment. It's kind of like it's out of the, it's, you know, beyond all expectation. It's a remarkable story. It begs a whole stack of questions. And we'll look at that in a moment. But let's think about how this story might actually engage with what we've just done with Ian and Lulu and Mikey and Henry. I was thinking about how, do you, how does this story actually 
interlock with the idea of what it means to be a church together and what does it mean to be a church where you have children together, little children. I think in Lulu and uh, Ian's house, life is always like this, um, <laughs> gentle and uh, serene and uh, kids never cry. Um, but as these little lads grow up, and please God stay with us, what does it look like to be a church where little lads like this find a safe community like this to grow in? Well, there's something, a couple of things that are kind of obvious, really, to say. Firstly, it's not enough for them to know that in this place there are really nice people. I mean, there are. And I think, as a church, I'm just overwhelmed continually by the kindness of people in the church. The stuff that we never see, the stuff that we never parade, but just the incidental kindness of people in the church to one another and to people outside is, I think, remarkable. And I think it is a sign of the spirit at work. But if it's just, actually, lads, this is a place where really kind people are, then what will happen is either we will burn out if it's just about kindness, or they will go, well, that's lovely, but it's probably not for me. And similarly, if it's just about coming to church, because that's the thing we do, there's got to be more than that. The truth is that right now, Mikey and Henry, well, certainly Henry, has no say whatsoever in this coming to church business. <laughs> he just gets lifted and brought. Mikey, well, Mikey runs down the path to church at the moment. There will be a moment when Mikey won't want to run down the path to church. And some of you have got that right now. You've got children who are sort of trying to establish their own independence and work that out and saying, I don't want to go. And they use the B word. It's boring. <laughs> and it's difficult sometimes as your children get older just to be actually able to say, certainly as they're sort of in those earlier years, actually, folks, this is what we do. This is our family. This is what makes sense of our family. And we want you to hold to it. And it's a challenge to know how to flex with them and how to hold the line with them. But actually, the problem is, if Mikey and Henry and all our other children only think what's really important is coming to church, they've missed something. Coming to church is not the deal. Coming to church is the means to the deal. Coming to church is not the be-all and end-all. Actually, there's something greater. You see, what we want, and I used this last week, what we want them to know is that as adults, what we're trying to do is to learn the way of Jesus in our context at this moment. That's what we're trying to do. That's who you and me are together. We're, trying to pe we're people who come together, and we find church helps us do this. But it's more than just church for that. But what we're doing is we're trying to align ourselves. We're trying to bring ourselves into a context where we're learning what is the way of Jesus. And that's why the kindness overflows. Because actually the way of Jesus, one of these aspects of the way of Jesus is that you don't live for yourself anymore. Being part of a community like this, well, it helps. It helps when we worship. It helps when we're... Hopefully it helps when we're reading the Bible together. It helps us know how do we help 
Little lads like that know that that's what we're really about. If you've got a Bible and you don't mind flicking through it, will you flick through almost to the end of uh, the New Testament to 2 Peter? So it kind of, it's one of those little letters that's just tucked away right at the end. You'll, if, you, if you go too far, you'll end up in Revelation. You'll go back a bit, you'll end in Jude, and then you've got the 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. But you've got this uh, 2 Peter, little letter written by Peter, written to a bunch of churches and written when Peter was an old man. Now, one of the things that I don't think I've said yet are really about Mark, but one of the things about Mark's gospel is that it's generally held to be true that Peter was the one that dictated the story or told the story to Mark, who then wrote it down. So it's kind of like Peter's story. But here you've got in 2 Peter, Peter much older, probably sort of 70 or 80 years old, looking back, and looking back on things that had happened to him when he was in his 20s and 30s. Now, some people go, well, uh, when you get to that sort of stage, you can't rely on it. But we've already established this morning that actually you can flick back into your memory 70 years at the flick of a switch. And it's Vera. (laughs) Mr. Munster. And Peter, as an old man, is flicking back, and he, in the midst of this, is wanting to encourage younger Christians to keep going, because he knows it's not always easy to carry on living as a Christian. It's not always easy to actually enable your own inner core being to change and to be shaped. And as part of that encouragement to keep going, he says this in verse 16 to 18, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories. Peter's writing to people going, do you know what? When we were young, it wasn't made up. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. What Peter's writing 80 years later is what happened in the passage we've just read in Mark. And Peter's going, listen, folks, two things. Trust me. Firstly, don't give up. Keep going, keep growing, keep adding to your faith, goodness and faithfulness and love. Don't give up. And he said, because when we were young, we saw, we saw the glory of Jesus. It's kind of like uh, 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 Peter saying to the listeners, folks, it was worth it. Years ago, and I've, I've told this story a couple of times before, but years ago in the church here, we were in a, a different building at the time, but in the church, it, this must be 20 years ago, 25 years ago maybe, there was an older couple, um, and uh, it was Frank and Winnie. Some of you will know, and Winnie's still around, but, but Frank, um, I was really young, and Frank just looked old at that point. I think right now he'd look middle-aged, but um, at the time, he, he looked like an old guy, you know? And Frank... Um, 
Frank had prostate cancer. And um, he'd been prayed with, and he, he, he'd had a period where he'd been free of it. And then, I don't know how old he was in those days, but it, perhaps 70-ish, I guess. Some, more, pardon? Well, it was about 80. So he was old. Um, but he came to church. He told me in the week before, he, he, we were chatting, to, and he said, you know, it's come back. And, um, you know, I'm 80 years old. And he said, I'd like to come to church. He said, I don't know how many times I'll be able to do that. I'd like, I'd like to come to church. I'd like to speak. And I said, you'd be really welcome. Um, the, the unfortunate thing is we had a guest speaker that morning. To be honest, that guest speaker was on a no-win scenario here. Because Frank spoke first. Remember it vividly. And Frank said, I want you to know. I've been following Jesus for over 50 years. And it's been worth it every day. And within weeks, Frank died. But he had the chance to say, listen, folks, it's been worth it. And what I kind of have always imagined when we've, in this church, when we've buried people that have been part of our church... They've handed us a baton. And they said, will you run with it now? And I was only a young guy then, but Frank kind of gave me a baton to run with. And in a few years' time, I'll be the old guy. <laughs> and I'll hand it on to younger guys. And that's what we are doing as adults here. We're running a race because all those younger kids in there, one day it's their they'll run... They are still they're running a race right now, but it's their race to run. And we, they need to know who's running ahead of us, who's actually the lead run in this baton race. And you hold it, the baton at the moment, but you give it to them and you go, now will you run? Because one day, each of us will get to the end and we'll go, do you know what, kids? It's been worth the race. And that's what Peter's doing. He's going, we didn't make it up. We were there. We were there on the mountain when Jesus was transformed in front of us, where suddenly we saw like this glory of Jesus bursting out of him. We were there. We saw it. We saw the transfiguration. What happened? Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. He led them up a mountain, and he was transfigured. And his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there was Elijah and Moses. It's kind of like this remarkable vision of who Jesus actually is. Not just the one who will die on a cross, but the glorified Jesus. The one in whom the luminosity of God will shine out of. And, they, and they, they see Moses and Elijah. It's like these guys who were the leaders of their own generation, those leading into promised land, the Elijah, the guy who's the head of the prophets there, they see them. And Peter, wonderful Peter. Peter, the guy who keeps opening his mouth and putting his foot in it every time. Brilliant Peter says, 
this is fantastic. Let's build a religious institution here. And Christians have been trying to do it ever since. Let's capture it. Let's build some booze. Let's build some structures. And then a cloud comes and covers them. And a voice from the cloud comes, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Who's the cloud for? Well, sorry, what is the cloud? The cloud is there as kind of like the presence of God. Who's the voice for? Well, you've heard this before, if you remember. Way back at the baptism, there was a voice from heaven that came, you are my son, with you I am well pleased, I'm your love. But this voice is different. This is not to reassure Jesus. This is actually to tell the disciples about Jesus. This is my son. Trust him. Trust him. I love that idea of... uh, It's kind of interesting because I've searched high and low for art and art can't really do justice to this story because it's kind of like such a weird story. But the idea of the cloud that suddenly envelops all of them. It's not like God's doing something just for Jesus over there and they're watching on. But suddenly God draws in all these people and goes, I'm here for you. Will you trust me? Henry and Mikey and every other young person in there needs to know that you can be religious and it just makes you prissy. Peter... Let's do something really religious up here. And, 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 and God from heaven going, oh, just listen to Jesus. You can be religious and you can miss what it's all about. Next week, Ian's going to be preaching. He's going to be talking about the next story. And I don't want to preach his sermon because he'll hate me. But in that sermon, he meets someone, meets their father who's absolutely anxious. And the father is wavering in faith. And Jesus doesn't say, if you could just sort yourself out first, I'll be able to help you. Clean yourself up. Get right. Be better than you are. Then I'll help. Because there's another form of religion that says, actually, God's not on your side if you're not what you ought to be. It's kind of like church and religion and faith. We, we, we get it wrong sometimes. And what we think is it's all about religious institution or it's about actually cleaning yourself up and then God will listen to you. And Jesus stands in the middle and says, it's not about either of those two things. It's actually me coming and showing you my glory and I'm for you. Don't worry about the religious stuff. Don't worry about trying to clean yourself up. Trust me. Trust me that the cross is actually the way of freedom. It is the way where Jesus is able to buy your forgiveness. It doesn't matter how messed up you found yourself. He has sorted it. And you come not with your cleanness, but you come with your brokenness. And I want the kids to know... It's not about doing religious stuff. 
And I want the kids to know that God is not a God who says, get yourself sorted out and then I might come for you. Because I tell you this, there's some of us as adults still struggle with that. And we, don't, we wouldn't say it like that. But what we struggle is like this. We think that actually if we've messed up, God won't listen to us. Or if things start going badly, it's because God's not on our side. Because we're not all we should be. And what we've done is we've made the wrong equations. And Jesus stands on the mountain with his arms flung out like windmills saying, there's grace, trust me, trust me, trust me. And we're going, well, we'd just like to organize a little bit of a religious institution here, if you don't mind. Or, well, actually, if we could just clean ourselves up, then maybe you'd, you'd want to be with us. It was 30 years ago, but it only feels like five, when uh, the Joshua tree was, uh, was out, and uh, this year, you might know some of you who are of that generation, um, uh, the Joshua Tree tour has been doing the rounds again. They've been playing that album again. And one of the tracks on the Joshua Tree album, and one of the tracks that's still, for me, of that sort of generation, I was, you know, sort of 20, um, 23 in 87, so it's kind of like, vivid for me. One of the tracks that still stands out for me is the track that starts... I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they sing about how they've seen all this, they've been all these places, they've experienced all this stuff, and yet, deep down, they still haven't found what they're looking for. And at the time, um, this Christian band that were playing in devil's places, people said, does that mean they've lost their faith? And it didn't. What it meant was they recognize that actually when we're looking for kindness and love and acceptance and value, that ultimately we will not find it, except we find the one we trust in Jesus. And if I can just go back to the kids in the back, those of you that are parents, you've got to help navigate, help them navigate these years. Because they're being squeezed and pushed and pulled in all sorts of directions. When Love Island is one of the most watched programs of the season. When Love Island, which is essentially about young people who essentially don't find love so much as sex. When that's kind of like where they're all buff and they're all thin and they're all tanned and they're all beautiful. It's hard when you're not any of those things. And it's hard when you think you might not be liked. And when it's your turn to be picked on, and we, loads of us were picked on at school, weren't we? Do you remember? <laughs> it was horrible. But it's worse now, isn't it, because of Facebook. And social media. Because at least when we were younger, you could shut your own door. But now that horrible feeling inside of needing to look and knowing when you look, you're just going to get awful stuff said, but you can't not look. Who's going to tell them you're valued? Not because you're a size eight. Or because you've got a, you know, a six-pack and abs to die for. 
Who's going to tell them they're valued? Because of who they are. And as parents, we're going to have to navigate that with them. And as a church, we navigate that with them. You see, the truth is, it's not enough to do colouring in of children's stories. These kids have got a lot ahead of them. How do we help them navigate that? And you that are grandparents, how do you have the conversations with your grandchildren and the children you have responsibility for and the children that you care for? Because you can have different conversations than parents can have. You can get away with saying stuff to your grandchildren that parents can't get away with. (laughs) Particularly as your grandchildren get into early teenage years. How are you going to help disciple your your grandchildren? What does it mean for those of us who are committed to the church? We haven't got kids of our own, but we're committed to the church. And what we've just promised is we will help you bring your children up so they will know Jesus can be trusted. In a culture where we're torn and pulled apart, Jesus stands on the mountain, arms raised, the cloud comes down, and what they hear is, you can trust me. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to the one who tells you you're loved. Listen to the one who tells you you're valued. Listen to the one who receives you in. C.S. Lewis, in that, um, that sermon I talked about on Facebook, said if part of it, the promise of glory becomes highly relevant to our deep desires, for glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last. <laughs> I love it. And he's never even heard of you two. <laughs> but the, the cloud comes down, and suddenly it's, You're loved. You're loved. The door you've been knocking on all your lives opens. So the you that have children, as you pray with them when they're young, when they're little, when they're Mikey's age, What you're doing is you're demonstrating you can trust the one to whom we come. Pray with your children. And some people find it really hard to pray out loud. Learn to pray with your children and your grandchildren. And when they get to sort of 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, They will discover with you, because this is what you know, is that prayer is not magic. And trust doesn't mean everything's always going to be as you want it. The trust actually kicks in when it's not the way you want it. Help your children work out the difference between prayer and magic. And pray with them. And as they grow older, keep reminding them that all the things they're looking for can be found, they are right to look for love. They are right to look for acceptance. They're right to look for significance. They're right to look for security. All of those things are right, but help them find them 
in the right place. Because nobody else's love is going to withstand the weight that you need. There's no job and no job appraisal at the end of the year that goes, you've done well, that's enough to fill that inside. There's no salary that you're going to earn that's enough to go, you're valued. But they're looking for the right thing. And Jesus is on the mountain with the glory of God shining out, going, trust me. Well, we talk about it like we've got it all sewn up and we can do it for the kids. (laughs) Yeah. The disciples go down the mountain. And they start a debate about, well, why would Elijah come first? And Jesus said, the one who came to prepare all things, he's come already. John the Baptist. You saw what happened to him, didn't you? From now on, the disciples, having worked out who Jesus is, are going to have to work out how do you live. And you and me, we're part of the church. They say to the kids, This is how you live. This is what it means to trust. This is what it means to follow the one who showed himself on the mountain with glory. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask the musicians if you'd come back. We're going to uh, inevitably this morning because of... uh, the service we're going to be a little running over a little so when the children come back in um, we probably will still be in the middle of communion as a parent please you take responsibility for deciding what's appropriate for your children in terms of coming to the front it may just be that they come with you or it may be that you want them to come and receive communion with them but you take responsibility for that with them but let's pray together It's inevitable that in a room like this, there are some of you and some of the stuff that I've been talking about, if you've been able to follow it, you know that it's not just an abstract concept, but you're struggling with it yourself because you're struggling to hear someone say you're loved in a tone and in a volume that actually means something for you. And I want to pray for you who've spent most of your life looking for someone to say you're worth something. I want to pray for you that you'd know it in Christ. The only one who actually can ultimately be trusted. And I want to pray for the rest of us who know the feeling from time to time that we would continue to be enveloped by the cloud, the presence of God able to hear Jesus saying, listen to, hear God say, listen to Jesus. And I want to pray for us as parents. Some of us are parents of little toddlers, and we're grandparents of little toddlers, and some of us are parents of adults. And we pray for our families. Lord, would you enable us to be rooted in you, 
so that we might be the people who know how to help those to whom we're going to pass the baton. Lord, we pray for our families. We pray for our adult children. Lord, that they would know the one in whom they can trust. We pray for our teenagers when we're struggling with them. Lord, help them to know it's more than church. Help them to know the dynamic faith that lies at the heart of it. I pray for Alex and Andrew as they go, that Lord, that young children will make that decision to follow you as a young age and find that security in you that will shape the whole of their lives. And I pray for parents and grandparents who are wrestling, sometimes literally, with toddlers. Lord, I want to pray that as we pray with them, they will be shaped in a certain way. May we who understand what it means to see Jesus on the mountain know how to live that out as a church for the sake of our youngsters. We ask it in your name, Lord.